welcome to a captivating two-part episode where we dive into the fascinating world of powder formulation with the dynamic duo, Kevin and Nathan Biller. As the go-to problem solvers for the industry, they possess an unparalleled mastery of powder chemistry. Far from the stereotypical image of stuffy chemists, Kevin and Nathan bring a fresh perspective, breaking the mold to address the industry's evolving needs. Today, we uncover the intricacies of their approach and explore how they're reshaping the narrative around powder challenges. Prepare to be inspired as we discuss not only the challenges, but also untapped opportunities that may just spark your innovative spirit. Get ready to level up your powder coder game. Welcome to Roscoe's Powder Coder Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kim Scott. Somewhere in the back is my husband. That's why I keep saying I'm a co-host because he's really back there working and maybe he pops in, maybe he doesn't. Uh, where we interview influencers and talk about trending topics so you can grow your powder coating biz. I'm super excited and stoked to have what I consider rock stars in the powder coating industry. Kevin Biller is the founder of Powder Coating Research Group out of Columbus, Ohio, which was recently acquired by ChemQuest, ChemQuest Group. They are billed as the Global Specialty Chemicals and Materials Consulting Services, including strategy, technology development, efficiency building, and mergers and acquisitions. And his very accomplished son, Nathan Biller, who is the expert formulator dude, Together, they run the Powdcast, uh, Ask Joe Powder Powdcast podcast uh, that focuses on chemical industry and answers technical questions from coders who write in. Today's topic is about powder formulation. Pretty simple. And, um, you know, sometimes we get so wrapped up and busy about and focused on maybe sandblasting or how to how to powder coat or equipment uh, malfunctions uh, that you sometimes kind of skip over the powder part of it or just the understanding the basics of powder formulation. So that's why I've asked these two very special guests to come on the show today so that we can kind of cover some of the fundamental differences between polyesters, uh, urethanes, acrylics, uh tgic's so what do you say How, welcome to the show guys hey thanks for having us yeah thanks for having us it's a good intro um and you know what one of the the one of the problem areas in in the powder coating world we you know one of the things we do often is solve problems you know troubleshoot and solve problems but there's a misconception sometimes people say well, it's a powder coating and it's it's bulletproof. It can do anything. But there is a difference between the different chemistries. And, you know, some of them are much better for corrosion resistance. Some of them are superstars for, for outdoor durability. Some of them are perfectly placed for indoor applications like metal office furniture and things like that. Um, some are designed specifically for appliances. So... 
people have to be careful when they make a decision. Like, for instance, sometimes people will say, you know, I need a, a semi-gloss black powder. And they'll, you know, the, the powder supplier will deliver that. And the powder user will make the mistake thinking that it's going to pass every every requirement that ever could be imagined. And and maybe maybe it will, maybe it won't. So anyway, chemistry is real important. It's true. And, you know, again, this show is always about sharing our journey, right? Uh, just everyday stuff that happens around here. Uh, and last week, just last week, I had two very, I had two contractors reach out to me on two different, it ended up being on the same house, but uh, one was regarding 2605 finishes and having to explain to the general contractor what all that is and why you have to pay more for that and, you know, what the warranty, you know, what's the, the core components of a 2605 versus a 2604 was very educational to me. I reached out to several different people um, and got that kind of settled. But the other one was kind of interesting because, and that's why I want to share it with you today, is it was a window, the, the powder that was on this uh, window um, from a window manufacturer was a rowel, but it was a textured rowel. And I looked high and low. Um, you may know it where to go for textured rowels, but it was uh, very difficult to explain that to the, to the people that I was working with, uh, including the window representative here, as well as the fabber for this gate and the, the general contractor who was installing the windows and doors trim for this house. And I, they kept saying, well, it's just a row. It's just a row. Go get it anywhere. Right. So somebody mentioned, you know, go to prismatic. I just, cause I guess they were familiar with that. And I'm like, okay, where are you seeing this? Because I'm looking for it this specific because it's textured it actually said fs which meant fine structure i guess that's just another word for for texturing um so they just thought that i could just get it off the shelf like it's nobody's business but you can't you can't always do that so you can't always get what you want unless you source it so anyways that was my journey and it ended up being in poland that i could get this you know, so I'm like, I'm dropping out. I'm not going to special order powder when uh, you guys can go ahead and you're already a client of this company. Go ahead and order it through them. So they're going to deliver and provide us the powder to do these gates because the owner wants it all matchy matchy. Well, yeah, and, um, you know, Raoul is only referring to the color. You know, it's a set of color standards out of Germany. And so that doesn't mean... Um, anything about the gloss, the texture, the chemistry, um, the performance, anything about the powder. It's just like, okay, what color is it? And then, yeah, like you said, there's a, there's a lot more to what goes into a powder than just what color it is. And, and, and texture is independent of the chemistry per se, 
Because basically you could say, could you give me a, a textured 2604 kind of five-year Florida durability? Or you could say, no, it has to be 2605 and I want a texture. But, you know, it's not like one or the other is the only textured version. Chances are, though, the more you get into 2605, there's a certain palette, you know, a certain portfolio of pretty common, you know, materials that are, you know, common in the architectural world. If you want a specific gloss that's outside of that portfolio or a specific texture, you, it may be a custom product. Um, the other right. thing, when you use the word texture, texture is in the eyes of the beholder. It could be a fine texture, or it could be a lopy kind of orange peel texture. Or uh, it could be yeah. a coarse, like like a, a anti skid texture. Um, so texture requires uh, definition, which could either be like a control color panel or maybe a set of standards that you can compare it to. You can't just say, give me this kind of texture um, and expect your verbal description is gonna be, uh, <laughs> is gonna be understood by your, your material supplier. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's just an example I wanted to bring up uh, to kind of get the show started. Um, you know, that these are the kind of problems that I would guess everyday coders have to solve because, you know, the the industry that we talk to, uh, which are our end customers, right, uh, could be contractor, could be project manager, interior designer, uh, could be homeowner. Um, it, it's this constant educational thing that we have to get into with them that kind of complicates things as well as just, I guess usually people will relate to powders as they are, as if they were paints. Like I can't just go down to the store and get this paint. So, you know, uh, the premise of this show is a perfect, bit, or this example is just a perfect way to kind of introduce this show as to how complicated things can get sometimes, but also, Let's just kind of roll it back a little bit and keep it simple um, just as an intro course, because I'd love to, you know, or intro on powder 101, right? Just so we have some general better understanding of that side of the industry that we could maybe help uh, define and uh, educate our customers on, right? Um, our end customers on. But before we get started, let's back up and show you uh, where to find uh, the podcast. Uh, let's do that. Um, so let me share my screen. So it's called the Ask Joe Powder Powdcast. <laughs> and oh, um, what is it bad? Well, my um, my code is, is broken. Yeah, it actually looks really pretty when it's in a different browser. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Darn it. Okay, well. No, well, uh, you know, we can kind of, um, you know, we can get, we'll fix it. We'll get it fixed. It'll look nice and pretty, but uh, it, usually I go to the Burberry one or something like that. So, yeah. Well, now, you know, you got something to do after the show. 
And right. then yeah, um, well, when you have a powder formulator, do your uh, HTML. That's what happens. Yeah. Um, you guys are up to 48 episodes. Uh, I love your show. It is chemistry based or, but then you also, as always, you know, ask Joe, you've always been answering questions either in the, uh, in, in trade magazines, uh, you know, it, you've been around. I know when I go to, uh, the, uh, every time I go to powder coating week, you know, everybody wants to talk to you guys. Everybody, everybody is there to say hi to you. I mean, it, we sometimes you just might want to just have your own little side section of the show <laughs> for you guys. Um, and I, believe, I was surprised that the Ludites were there. That remember when we were talking, I was talking to you, and then the two gentlemen came up, the Ludites from Pen. Were they from Pennsylvania? Oh, they're they getting Luda, no. Well, they they, they you they're Amish. These are Amish people. Amish. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 In 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 this part of the Midwest, typically they're you know they, they associate themselves or describe themselves as Amish. Which wow, I in, in, like the thing is, those two guys you met or saw us talking to, they've got an amazing factory. They've got some really high-tech equipment, laser cutting capability, CNC, um, robotic welding. They're, wow. they're very, very advanced. It's not like, uh, you know, steam-powered or horses or something. <laughs> I'm not sure who decides to draw the line and where, but, yeah, it sounds like they have a pretty high-tech <laughs> setup for being they're, they're putting in a new powder line that's probably part of the reason why they're tugging on our sleeves yeah they were very polite of course you know i had to like zip my mouth because i like to swear a lot and i'm like whoa okay i better <laughs> better not i better be on my best behavior because i'm just a catholic girl right i have i can swear all i swear a lot so well, as um, long as you go to confession on saturday <laughs> yeah, I think exactly. I'd had four beers by the time they came up too. So <laughs> <laughs> they were very nice men, and I was just like, "Yeah, I mean, that was my thing." I'm like, "Wait, Amish and powder coating? Who knew? Right? Who knew?" Yeah, very interesting. But yeah, yeah, it's like people find us. You mentioned Poland, and yeah, we're doing we're doing work with one of the renowned universities in Poland. They're doing academic research in powder and. And we're connecting the dots with the practical side. You know, we're we're material people, but we're not. We're technologists. We make things work. So right. we take components. We're formulators. We make things work. Uh, but we work with scientists. We work with end users. We work with equipment manufacturers. Um, yeah, let's bring choirs. up your website too. I want to bring up. ChemQuest, because you started, just give us a little bit of a, a brief background on, um, uh, you know, your company was just recently purchased by this one. Um, and uh, I had no idea until I landed on their site, all the stuff that they, they do. Um, I imagine you kind of came in on the materials side, right? Whereas they were doing all this other business strategy stuff and uh, yeah, M&A advisory falls under technology development there. Um, 
but yeah, you're right. They ChemQuest has traditionally been um, market research, business strategy, um, mergers and acquisitions, those sort of like real consulting businessy type of stuff. Um, I think what six or seven years ago they bought a laboratory in Southern Virginia that does liquid paint. And so they oh, do okay. solvent-borne, waterborne, high solids, they do adhesives, like all sorts of technologies, but their um, you know, their expertise when it came to powder coating was minimal to mm-hmm. to be generous. They they had a powder, you know, they had a, a booth and a spray gun and an oven. They could spray a powder, but um they didn't have the knowledge or, you know, the experience. And so. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. And it's funny that all this is happening today. Sometimes I think it's just so coincidental or um, that we happen to be, you know, today is the podcast and I get an email from Tiger this morning um, saying that, you know, their raw material prices are stabilizing and this brings good news. Effective May 15th, uh, we'll be reducing the existing surcharge. So they're reducing this charge, but they're still keeping the charge. And I always kind of said from, I don't know, I don't know if they'll ever roll back all the surcharges. I, I don't know. You might feel differently about it and who knows what these companies are thinking, these powder suppliers are thinking, but I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's nice to know that they are decreasing it. They only decreased it a little bit, but there's still surcharges. And sometimes industries, when they do surcharges, I think that they're there to last, right. You know, they're there to stay, not really ever roll them back because they like that extra money. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, the, the issues with the, supply chain, you know, globally the last couple of years, they're real. Like they're, those were real problems. And I, we're, you know, we're finally out of the woods with most of this stuff, but you know, there was a time 2020 where you just couldn't even get titanium dioxide or, or right. solid epoxy resins. Like, and then when you could get it, it was, it would cost you extra to get to the top of the list. And then, you know, finally thing it seems like things are settling mostly back to normal, but you're right. Once people get a taste of weight, we can charge a little bit more. People yeah. still buy it than like, what? Well, the cost of a container you? was, it was North of $20,000. Yeah. You know, back at the height of the, the, the nonsense. And right. It was, it was a, it was a, confluence or collision of many factors but that just the fact that it costs you know over twenty thousand dollars per container to get it across you know the pacific ocean now it's down to three thousand dollars a container big difference um you know they had that big freeze in the gulf area which you know houston and the, and the gulf coast oh right yeah i remember which that shut down a lot of the the next step from the refinery to making the um, monomers and oligomers that make our polymers, and and they just didn't see that coming, um, and it took a long time to fix that. Um, the other thing, Kim, that that I'm seeing, there's this there's this drive. I, I put it in one of my newsletters 
this 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 um, movement of reshoring. We've all heard of reshoring and taking stuff that we were doing with, that we were getting from you know far away, the Asia Pacific in particular, reshoring that manufacturing or or you know fabricating. But the other thing I'm seeing is a, it's called nearshoring, and we're seeing it in Europe and here. And you know what that means? It means you know Mexico for us mainly. Like okay, it's 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 a better bet to have things you know manufactured in Mexico than it does in China because it's more predictable and it's easier to you know deal with. Um, in in Europe, it's more. Turkey, the Balkans, um, you know, maybe a little bit, you know, from former Soviet states. Yeah. But yeah, Romania and, and places like that. So this this whole concept of let's get the cheapest stuff from far away. People are saying that's a bad strategy going forward. So there's that transition. It's going to take time for all that to settle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, and I want to share my screen one more time because another email came in this morning. Um, and it's something that we've covered here. I um, recently um, did a podcast with another podcaster uh, called The Coding Show, where he just covers paint and powder and all kinds of other kinds of coatings and stuff. Um, we kind of featured it through the SEMA show because they're, you know, SEMA is fighting a lot of the EPA stuff. Uh, they've, you know, um, they're fighting a lot of the uh, right to repair. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of any of that. Um, it's a kind of a serious thing uh, where they're going to limit a lot of small business intentionally i think uh and mostly because technology in cars uh is getting more complex now they're introducing i mean they want basically in this article they're explaining that they want two-thirds of the cars by 2036 or 35 or something they want two-thirds of all cars to be ev and they're incentivizing these major manufacturers on that. But uh, the email was about how the SEMA uh, CEO, and just for those that don't know who SEMA is, that's the uh, specialty um, aftermarket organization that puts on the auto show every year, but they also do a lot of industry stuff for the aftermarket manufacturers for cars, parts, and everything, Mm -hmm. the gamut, anything aftermarket. And, um, I just wanted to bring it to everybody's attention because the problem isn't going away. It's only getting more and more heated and intense. Um, So let me share this uh, screen here on my email. And uh, basically, well, I probably should just go to the, there we go. Um, You know, SEMA and its members, this is the, the, the president of SEMA or the CEO of SEMA who's meeting in front of the EPA uh, to fight the emission standards for motor vehicle models 27 to 32, which it just the beginning, but, you know, uh, 
it's the future of car making. Um, and they're basically, you know, he's just basically saying SEMA and its members have seriously serious concerns about the proposal, which aggressively seeks to lower carbon emissions under timelines that effectively make electric vehicles the de facto choice options for automakers to meet the requirements. Governments shouldn't pick winners or losers. This far too fast mandate will create a seismic shift in small for small business businesses who don't have the capacity to make the ship shift this quickly, especially when they're not receiving billions in government funds like the large automakers are to fund vehicle programs. Uh, anyways, it, I, it's. I, I think it's ahead. interesting, though. It, there, there's so many people, I think, you know, I think they're dinosaurs a lot of times who are so resistant to change and I built my whole career on new technology and like with the coatings industry, when I started industrial coatings, people like, Oh, you can't replace solvent born paints and powder coatings are the worst thing ever. And the major paint companies said that throughout the seventies and into the eighties. And they're going like powder is a joke and it won't work and everything. And then when people found it was better, it was cleaner, it was more economical, it was higher performance. They jumped on board, and this yeah. was in the, the the mid to late '80s, early '90s. Um, I'm no expert on automotive technology, but you know, it's it's like smartphones. People are like, I don't need a smartphone because you know that's too much and whatever. I see people, you know, I see both sides of the argument. You don't want to kill small businesses. I've been a small business person for the last 25 years, but you also have to look at future. And I always feel technology that works well and that has the right economics is going to win every time. With powder coatings, yeah. I think the growth in, in the industry and the technology was based on performance rather than somebody crushing people with regulations i think there was always a way around them there's a little bit of that i mean it's always easier to to you know sell with the the sustainable and environmental you know it's just compared to anything with solvent in it it's always going to going to have that more compelling yeah but, but anyway it's it's like you know i hear people say oh you can't do this and i understand you can't subsidize things always to get change. I, I'm not a big one for big government, but I, I like to ask people, have you ever driven an electric car? They're, they're a lot of fun to drive. Yeah. And they're, they make a lot of sense. I'm not saying it's for everyone, but like my experience through the last four and a half decades, powder coatings won because they were better and had the right economics. And I know that's that's what you're doing. That's your your business. That's yeah. you know, and I don't know. I, I just I hesitate when I hear people say, "Oh, you can't make us change." I, I believe that, and I understand that. But I think technology and you know better technology is going to win. And yeah, if it's electric cars, fine. If it's hydrogen, fantastic. If it's a plug-in hybrid, which one of my cars is a plug-in hybrid. It's got a it's got a battery and it's got an engine, and it's delightful. 
And it's like, I don't go to the gas station very often. I get 90 miles per gallon. Um, but anyway, I, I understand what people have to have a certain amount of pushback. We've run into that even with coatings associations where they're like, we can't say bad things about solvent born coatings. I'm like, well, I will. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I'm biased, but it's like, it's like here, here, here's, you know, here's the advantages. Here's the, you know, the, the disadvantages you make the decision. So anyway, so, so are they concerned that they're going to have to drive electric vehicles to their small business? Is that? No, is that I think what it is, is, is they're restricting the right of who you should go to fix your car. So that's just, oh. uh, that was one of, yeah. So that's part of the whole right to repair the whole, gotcha. uh, okay. yeah. See, so they are limiting your choice to by mandating all of these yeah it's a big thing you know and and in in the in the like let's just say that if it did happen tomorrow we're like at very high interest rates right now it's just killing capitalization of your business right you know it's making getting that new piece of equipment that much more expensive uh Mm -hmm. it's you know and it's it's gonna put a damper on small business growth if you can't afford the equipment that you need in order to educate your employees or take that, you know, uh, EV equipment, right. It, it, or EV car in to get repaired. Right. So it's, oh, okay. it's a consolidation. It's, it's an attempt to create consolidation in the marketplace so that you're going to bigger places. Now, if you're a, for instance, if you want to make this into a powder coating argument, if you're a small coder today uh, and you want that growth in regional growth or area growth, then that's to your advantage because you're going to do whatever it takes uh, to get new equipment, continually to take on more business or expand business services, stuff like that. Uh, you know, that's a good thing. But the small guys are going to, you know, are going to continue to struggle. So it's a good time to get into powder coating. I don't know how much longer it will be if you're going to try to start up because you know how expensive it is to get started in powder coating. So anyways, just some things, thoughts to consider. Are they saying that it's going to put repair shops out of business? Is that part of the argument? Yeah, I think that's the underpinning. You know, it's interesting like I, I did make the switch to electric cars and, you know, one's a plug-in hybrid, but there's no maintenance. There's no spark plugs. There's no oil to change. There's no coolant there. There's yeah. no rate there. The brakes, you need to change your brakes every hundred thousand miles, maybe because of the braking systems are more advanced. It's like there's, there's, you need wiper blades and you need tires. Well, but that's the future and and the push for everyone to have an EV car. But the other thing is, is what about the cars that are already running, right? Are you going to dampen those cars? Are you going to eliminate those cars? Are you going to make taxes on those cars more expensive? Are you going to penalize the people that are working on those cars now um, and stuff? And I, I, you know, like I said, I, I, you know, another uh, law that they're working with at SEMA is the RP, RPM law, and I think it's in Florida, so where they're trying to define 
what does the government mean um, in their regulations? Like what car is, you know, they're just trying to define these cars because it's it's more about a definition about EV versus gas guzzling or diesel or whatever, right? Um, so they're just trying to define what a custom car means uh, mm. with their RPM law. Um, and I think they went to Florida. I don't know. I haven't caught up with the how the outcome of that of that bill went. Uh, I know there it's gone through a couple iterations already. Anyways, it's just something to kind of pay attention to, uh, not just because we powder coat vehicles, uh, you know, from frames to rims to bumpers to all kinds of parts on a car. But it's just a, a small business kind of perception that I kind of pay attention to um, and, you know, want to share with my audience what I learn because I'm into trends and and I'm into this global climate change uh, initiatives and directives and what it means for small business in general, right? Just uh, as a, you know, as someone with a small business, I think it's important to pay attention to. But I know we're kind of getting sidetracked on yeah. all yeah. of this, but I just wanted to share some news that kind of came through this morning that I thought would be really kind of interesting to kind of get your take on and, and get your perspective on. Um, but let's get into choosing the chemistry for end use requirements and powder coating. I mean, it's uh, it's it's a really important thing to know about some formulations and why they work. Uh, what's your best choice for what you're doing? Um, it's not always about price or color. What do you guys want to talk? Where do you want to dive in? Um, let's see. I, I guess I could give a um, just a little anecdote, like um, something that, that might be interesting. But like I, I have a used car. And the previous owner of that car did a, little, a couple of little custom things here and there, um, but they got the the wheels powder coated, as a lot of people do. Um, <laughs> but you know, I it you know, long story short, they looks terrible. They look absolutely awful. I think what they probably did is they went into a, their local job shop, maybe their buddy, um, and said, hey, let me look at your colors that you have. And they found this like really cool looking metallic vein, hammer tone type of a- um, Beautiful. Yeah, it, it probably looked awesome on the, the, you know, aluminum beer bottle that he had in the front of the shop. And, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, they went and, you know, coated these wheels and guy yeah, probably drove them around for six months and, now, as soon as I have it, there it's faded, it's chalked, it looks yep. awful. There's brake dust that you know I can't clean off of it, and you know I'm supposed to be this guy that knows things about powder coatings, so like driving around like that. So yeah, obviously I'm going to kind of get them redone. Well, the, 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 the guy took the guy took his wheels to his shop and said, "Hey, what do you got?" And they said, "This." He goes, "Wow, that looks great." didn't say anything about chemistry and you know an automotive wheel you know it's going to be outside some of the time and even in ohio there's some sunlight <laughs> so, so 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 they they put a hybrid they put a hybrid probably 
that would look really cool on something indoors. And like Nathan said, it's our chalking and it looks exactly like the way an epoxy polyester hybrid would chalk after months, not years. And the, the, I think the key here, Kim, is communication is really important, knowledge and communication. So mm -hmm. if somebody wants something powder coated, it's important. And this is this is what you guys do, you, you and your husband. It's like, what are you going to do with this? Where, you know, what what is the end use? Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. But you say, oh, you need an outdoor durable coating. Right. Let's talk about polyesters. Let's talk about maybe polyurethanes. But it's like you can't have a hybrid or an epoxy or whatever. You don't want to make that mistake. But I run into this problem because I do troubleshooting. I actually get involved with uh, legal cases. I'm an expert witness, mm -hmm. which when when, a, when an end user calls me and says, hey, I have a problem, it's like, okay, let's fix it. When I get a call from a lawyer, it's like, it's too late. It's somebody, oh, somebody yeah. made a claim. And I'm like, my goodness, somebody should have called me six months ago, a year ago, and headed it off before it became a million dollar lawsuit. I've run into situations, playground equipment, mm -hmm. and the resin was the proper resin. Okay. So it was a super durable 2604 formulation platform, but some knucklehead in the laboratory, and that really is people make mistakes to make the bright red for the, for the playground equipment, they put in a cheap red pigment. The resin was 2604. Everything in it was 2604, except for the pigment. And they use a cheap red pigment and red pigments are notorious. You have to spend a lot of money on a red pigment to get that high quality, you know, automotive type uh, performance. Mm -hmm. And the, 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 the equipment was in Arizona. I don't know if it was Tucson or, or Phoenix, but it was like, they called and they said, it's pink on one side and it's red on the other. And, you know, oh, it's, gosh. It's southern, southern facing was chalked and the stuff in the shadow was still good. So it's incumbent upon whoever is spraying a powder to ask, is this stuff outdoor durable? Is, you know, you can't make assumptions. It's really important. Right. I think that's where loyalty comes in with powder suppliers, right? You know, you get used to not only does a certain powder shoot well in your shop, uh, but it also, you know, it's just the people and the relationships you build too, um, and the brands that you can rely on that bring you that consistency. Um, you know, we try to kind of play it across the board here. You know, we certainly listen to what our customers' needs are first and then kind of either go, okay, we can do that or, or no, this is a better choice. And we kind of just direct them where we want them to go. Well, another thing, and I think Nathan's more of an expert on this than I am, but metallics and durability. Mm -hmm. and, and you probably run into this, Kim, where um, they say, we won't, we won't uh, provide a warranty unless there's a clear coat over this. 
Right. Yeah, and that's uh, another part of the wheels of my car exactly. is that to get that sort of a vein um, a reach. We pattern, put it up. you use leafing aluminum, which is an untreated grade of aluminum, which makes it lay out really nice and smooth when it bakes, but then it has no resistance to to any anything. It's anything. Water turns right. brown, you know, cleaning it turns it brown yeah um i'm not 100 percent sure what even color that was when they first put it on there it's so chalked so um right yeah there's a big difference even between yeah one silver you know one sparkle silver and another because there's different levels of treatment that they put on those pigments to last longer and longer outside and and, and you should really read the technical data sheet thoroughly. I mean, both pages, the back, front, whatever, because it may say this is not recommended for outdoor. Even if it right. says, you know, non-TGIC, polyester, whatever they call it, TGIC, for, it, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, we've caught people, you know, and again, like we're problem solvers, you know, people have trouble in the field. And there was one where they were, it was a company that made medical equipment and the coating was coming off in the, you know, in, in the field, in the fields of surgical room. It wasn't UV related, but then we dug around. We said, you know, the powder you're using is not recommended for medical applications. The medical application was autoclaving and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. to kill germs mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Really right. aggressive cleaning process. Exactly. And so, you know, typically you'd think like an epoxy powder, like those are the most chemical resistant. Mm -hmm. Those are going to be the, the strongest. You're not worried about um, about outdoor durability because this is all happening indoors. But, but that stuff that they had just wasn't good enough for like the really aggressive cleaning processes that are involved when when there's brain tissue involved. So, so we, we said, <laughs> I asked him, I said, how did you select this one for all these expensive medical equipment kind of things? We like the texture. Yeah, oh my goodness. It comes full circle here because yeah. it's like they said we like the tech. The texture was what we like. It looked really cool. It is a good looking coating. But it, it, and you know we know the powder manufacturer, and they never would have said you can use this on. Um, medical so do equipment. you think do you think a simple call would have just solved that immediately or I mean I don't know when it's that happens. Part of its knowledge, part of its knowledge, right? and, and you you do the industry a great service by trying to explain things, like by bringing knowledgeable people and and subject matter. Um, you know, knowledge is power, and sometimes people don't know what questions to even ask. Right. right. No, it, I mean, end customers it, for sure, you know, and that's why you got to know mm -hmm. what they're thinking. I mean, this house that we're talking about, um, you know, has these windows that they want to match the gate to now. So that was, you know, mm -hmm. earlier what we talked about, right. This fine texture, fine structure, 8014. And, uh, you know, personally, it, it, I would not have a textured gate 
uh, the minute the birds start pooping on it, you know, like, but I guess they're so wealthy, maybe they could just pay to have somebody clean the poop <laughs> off their gates or something like that. You now know, they could like, pay to I, have somebody stand there and shoo them away. <laughs> exactly. You know, so like, personally, I wouldn't choose, but I know they want to match the color. And so I yeah. just, you know, it took a week to, from talking to the window rep to talking to the window rep that works on the mainland uh, to find out where they get this powder. It's all made in Poland. It, they're basically just a service company that just takes orders and it all gets made, fabricated and powder coated in Poland. And then to find the SDS sheet comes from the Netherlands. So like, you know, uh, that's kind of interesting too, you know, just diving into where the powder, maybe they're selling the powder and then they're adding dry, adding the powder to, or the texture into, I don't know. how. No, that's, a, that's a dangerous proposition. And the other thing is Poland doesn't have uh, Ama 2605. They go by right. Qualicote class three. Qualicote, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, oh man. Okay. So we are like, I feel like we're like all over the place, but let's start <laughs> simply with a question is, what is a TGIC and what is TGIC free? Because uh, we're hearing both those. Do you want to kind of explain those a little bit? Um, sure. And, you know, to get to the root of it, TGIC is a curing agent. Um, so it's in a powder formulation where polyester makes up the, the bulk of the you know, if the resin of the actual backbone of this stuff, um, TGIC is in there. It's a functional uh, ligamer that cross-links with the polyester. And so that's when, you know, you put it in the oven, things melt, and then you get these polymeric networks coming together. Right. Um, okay. TGIC is just one of the ways to cure a polyester. And if you say TGIC free, well, Kind of just what they said it was, it doesn't have TGIC in it. But the most common technique to replace TGIC in polyesters is a, is a curing agent or crosslinker, and it goes by different names. Historically, it was called Primid because they were the first mm -hmm. trademark name for that chemistry. And as the, the patents wore off and, and you got uh, other manufacturers of that that chemical, they just call it beta hydroxy alkyl amide. I mean, say that fast three times. But um, that's the most typical way of replacing TGIC. HAA. Yeah, we go HAA for for short. But and if you just do TGIC versus HAA, everything else equal that HAA TGIC free will have less performance and be more difficult in, in your application system, not spraying, but curing. It doesn't have low temperature cure capability like TGIC does. Yeah. The bottom temperature for curing is lower. The chemical resistance is worse. The film thickness, you can only go so thick before you start getting um, defects in the form of pinholes. Um, yeah. 
Um, so it's, you know, from a formula standpoint, it's almost a drop in replacement, but for performance, it's really not. It's, yeah. And yet uh, Europe is mandating that, right? I mean, we have to kind of look at Europe to that. Their regulations they're not, are. They're not uh, mandating that. People say it's it's banned. It's not banned. banned. It's not banned. No, it's not banned. People say, well, TGIC is banned. It's not banned. It requires a special label. You know, it's got okay. like the late, they have these pictograms now. It's the one where it has the guy's head exploding <laughs> and the dead fish, not the guy's <laughs> head exploding. But, but it, it, it has a, a, a toxicity emblem that has to be on, on the package. And people are like, oh, that scares people. Yeah, effective. I mean, it's, it's like a soft ban, though. I mean, effectively, yeah. people don't want to use it because it's, yeah, because it doesn't look good. Yeah, but, you know, that being said, you know, we're formulators, Kim, and we had a customer, and they said this is a, 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 a end use that has a high chemical resistance requirement, and we want to get TGIC products out of our, our facility. So the incumbent supplier said, oh, we'll do a TGIC-free, HAA, Primid, and they, you know, submitted it to them, and it failed the durability tests. And the durability in this case was chemical resistance and resistance to cleaners and, you know, a couple other things. It had to be a real robust coating. And two things happened. The actual OEM, it was an OEM, they contacted us and said, hey, you got any ideas? And we said, of course we do. <laughs> but the powder supplier independently contacted us and said, hey, you guys, we don't know how to formulate this so that it will meet their chemical, cleaner, whatever, you know, in-service type, it was an automotive application, uh, performance. Do you guys know how to do it? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> but they just wanted us to give them a formula like over the phone almost and we developed a technology that was non-obvious, that was chemically resistant, low temperature cure, relatively reasonable in cost, and non-TGIC. And that's what they said, that's it. That's it. That's what works. We haven't seen it anywhere else. And you know, we're formulator dudes, like you said earlier. We gave the formula to a powder manufacturer and said, hey, can you, you know, kindly make this product for this OEM? And it's like, okay. That's what I'm learning about, you know, in terms of just these questions that everyday solving problem stuff I have to go through, right, is that there's more than meets the eye, right? You just need to kind of reach out and explain yourself or what you're looking for to your supplier to see if they can help. You know what, if, like I, if I was in your shoes, I, I would have, you know, and I know you guys do some of this, more than one powder supplier because, you know, availability, price, um, maybe portfolio might be a little different between, you know, different suppliers, but maybe they don't have this anymore, but um, there used to be smaller companies that said, we'll do customs and we'll do custom and our turnaround is seven business days or something and you know here's what our pricing structure is 
that may be kind of becoming less and less available. But I, I know when, when I owned a powder coating manufacturer, that was our key business. We did, we did specialties. We did stuff other people couldn't do. Either they didn't want to do it or they didn't know how to do it. And somebody says, we need a textured uh, 8014, uh, 2604, you know, 20 loss. So, yeah, but it's going to take, you know, seven to 10 days or something. And here's the price. And then they could go to their customer and say, okay, it's going to cost more, but this is, you know, this will be exactly what you want. Or you could have the smooth one. What do you think? And then it's like, take your pick. Yeah. We used to do the customs and they were usually smaller batches. Um, and we, we charged a lot for them because we had to, but there was a market for it. I think the industry was going that way. Um, I was hearing it from a few people that were trying to, a few different suppliers that were kind of trying to get into lower minimums for customs. Yeah, it seemed like it all just kind of went away when the pandemic, because, you know, the supply chain thing really kind of messed everybody up. So Mm -hmm. I think people just kind of tabled that. Maybe Mm -hmm. it'll get back to that later as things kind of smooth out. Um, Obviously, things are moving more positively in the supply chain. There's a couple components of that too. Like part of it is consolidation. Like all of the, I don't know, just uh, even a few years ago, there used to be a lot more small powder makers, you know, people that could make small custom batches. Um, But we're getting to a point where there's, there's fewer and fewer paint companies that are bigger and bigger. And they're, they're, um, I don't want to say like instead of developing their own technology, but I think that it is kind of a shortcut where huge company can just buy a small um, company that has interesting technology. And then, you know, they get everything that comes with that. It's, and then they can use it for their own purposes that they might not still have that small business ethos of like, you know, we're the little guy and we're going to make um, 25 or 50 pound badges for people anymore. It's, it's more about, okay, now big company A has that technology that they were, that they developed on their own. Yeah, when I true. Had a, yeah. I had a powder manufacturing company in the, the late nineties, early two thousands. And, you know, we did our, we did just like this kind of work. That was it. It was like something like a dead mat. Or something or this or that like where they said well we like this color but we like the the gloss to be blah 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 whatever or texture or whatever but um towards the end of the time i owned this company before i sold it um one of the major one of the biggest probably close to being the biggest powder manufacturer um in the country remain unknown uh they said, can you make small batches for us? And that became 50% of our business. And they wow. were 50 to 200 pound batches. And they said, okay, this is a goofy, goofy purple. This one's an orange, whatever. And when they came and like audited our production, the guy looked around and said, we'd never be able to do this within our corporate culture. And, you know, they would look at how many pounds can you get per man hour 
you know, out of this factory door, you know, like, so they'd say bigger batches, fewer people, more automation. And we were, we were the boutique shop. <laughs> yeah. I believe it. I totally believe it. So I had, I met the, at powder coating week, I met some people at PPG cause I feel like I underrepresent them and I want to be able to have them and order from them more often. Mm-hmm. Um, so finally, you know, I get a email from uh, the lead territory manager to say, hey, if there's anything you need, let me know, whatever. And sure enough, it, just after he emailed me, this 8022 thing kind of came up and he's like, well, I, you know, you can have, I said, the problem I, I get with you guys is I I can order, I, I don't mind ordering it from you, but you guys are in Texas and it costs money to ship from Texas more than maybe somebody from California or Oregon or whatever, right? West coast. And he's like, Oh no, no, no. If there's no rush in ordering, uh, you can just order it right from your PPG store. And in fact, he goes, it's just two blocks from where, you know, he's, I Googled where you are and where your PPG store is. And it's just a couple blocks. I said, I know where the PPG store is. Okay. So but I'm t- trying to tell you, I went in there two years ago and tried to order this color of yours for a job. And the guy looked at me like, what's powder coating, you know? And he didn't believe me. Okay, so this is like an email thing going on two or three times, a, you know, every day where, sh- you know, he didn't believe me that that's what happened to me. He calls the store himself and that's exactly what the guy said. He goes, oh, well, that's too much to order. You know, like we, you know, we would have to do this and that. And, you know, he said he doesn't believe me. And then he finally ca- called me back and said, oh, my God, you're right. We got to fix this. And I'm like, yeah, I, I would. I would order you, especially no, you know, if you're including my order in with their weekly container and mm-hmm. I don't have to pay for shipping. Hell yeah. I want that, but yeah. I'm not going to fight that. I just walked away and said, Oh, well, I'm ordering from somebody else. Right. So uh, sometimes it's just unbelievable what these bigger companies don't, uh, they, they, they have these processes, but then they don't realize in the fringes sometimes, you know, when you're, uh, a, a country bumpkin powder coater, you know, where you're way out in the boonies or where you're in the middle of the Pacific, you know, you can't get the powders as much as they want to believe that they're everywhere and all the time and everywhere. They're not. It's much harder than said than done sometimes, you know, so. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like you were saying before where, you, you know, you get a feel for which ones are, are, the best for you like you know ppg might be the best option for you know someone that's listening to this in um in boston right now or something but not for somebody that's in hawaii because they there's all those complicated things with you know your setup and and uh, location and everything like that so you know i have the i have the same kind of relationship with um raw material suppliers like i have yeah. If I'm going to get a bag of polyester resin, like th- there's a, a a list like, okay, I prefer to get it from these guys and I know that they'll give me a good price. I know that they'll get it to me quickly, but like, okay, then I've got, you know, the second and third tier that, 
if I can't get it from my first choice, then okay, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll ring up. Or it's, if it's something so special, right, right. Because we work with oddball outside of the box. They'd say, yeah, it's, we only make this in Italy, and you know we, we'll have it to you in twelve weeks. I'm like, okay, right. let me see if someone else has something similar. Yeah, right. Similar supply chain thing, just a different part of it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just want to be equally represented here. Uh, you know, because uh, a lot of designers, they like that Sherwin-Williams, uh, you know, look or finish or whatever. You know, we, you know, I just got a call yesterday from a building hotel that they're renovating right now. And it's a Sherwin-Williams uh, com- a color that we need to match. So he shared that with me and it's lighting. So, you know, you got to find something that has a lower sheen or dull sheen and stuff. So, you know. Um, I try to help as much as I can to just with what I have, but I'm sure I could offer a lot more if I knew that it would be easy enough to order some from some of the larger coders uh, and stuff and not have to worry about shipping all the time. You know, I do want to pass on good savings to my customers, right? I'll tell you a little, little, another anecdote, like Nathan said, an anecdote. We have one customer, you know, historically it was in the past, but he coats things. He manufactures things and coats them. And, you know, that's his, his business. And at one point he said, I don't like my job coder. You know, whatever, you know, wherever his, he's located. He says, I don't like them. They're too slow. They blah, blah, blah. You know, the parts come back, you know, damn it, whatever. He was just like, ah, those guys. So he built his own powder application line. Beautiful, high tech. And then about three, four years later, he goes, damn it, I don't like my powder supplier either. <laughs> and I'm like, dude. And he's like, Kevin, I'm building a powder coating manufacturing plant just for me. Oh, my goodness. So it makes me think of you where, <laughs> you know, you have to make a, a you know, a, a semi-gloss textured purple 2604. <laughs> and you go like, all right, I'm going to make that. But this guy said, Damn it! I'm going to do it myself, and he's like, well, "He said I'm I'm buying a powder um, application <laughs> line." He already wrote the check, and he was like, "How do you make a powder coating?" Oh my gosh! relationship with them though was was just you know matching stuff and teaching the teaching them how to make powder and how to formulate, how to set up the plant what testing equipment they need, like all that stuff. But he's like, ah, well, screw it. I'm going to, I'll make them myself. <laughs> right. I mean, there are people out there that are like that, right? They just, mm-hmm. they want to help improve things or at least for themselves, if not for other people, right? Well, they you want know? control too. Right. You want control. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I think it was him. Did he anyway, succeed? Yeah. I get, get, did he succeed at it? He's still doing it. Oh, yeah. well, there you go. You know, and he did all the formula. He formulated 50, 60 different products for him. So, wow. I don't even know.